Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Ellie Mistal, who is not from Above the Law. How are you? Let's go, Mets! We yeah. did the right thing! Yeah. We got rid of our cheating manager before he uh, managed a game. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, not formerly of Above the Law, but still with us, Ellie Mistal. So oh, yeah. what, what's... you wanted to talk to... Well, I figure you should at least make the announcement about like what you're doing. Yeah. I think listeners would care. Um, I am. I have formerly left above the law full time. I am now the justice correspondent at the Nation, which is great for me. Um, but as I said in my departure memo, can't actually leave above the law, so I will still be doing this podcast because I love you guys so much. And honestly, like, who else would let me do a podcast where I get to talk to lawyers all the time? Right, right. There we go. So what is your complaint of the day? And who will let me get to do a podcast where we start every week with me complaining about something? This week, I have a lot of complaints coming out from over the holiday. So as regular listeners might know, I've been having some problems with my house. It is generally erupting in a, in a spate of home improvement nightmare problems that will require uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the next uh few years, most likely. In any event, some of that money should be taken care of by insurance. And this begins my problem. Here's a little fun scientific fact for you listeners. Do you know why humans have no hair? So, you, know, you know, all the other great apes are hairless. We're, we're the hairless ape. You know why? It's because we are persistence hunters. What that means is that the way that we would hunt down our prey was basically run after it until it got so exhausted, it overheated, and then we would stab it with a pointy thing, right? It's called persistence hunting. It's how wild dogs hunt. It's how humans hunt, and it's we lost our hair because the ability for humans to sweat, to basically dissipate heat through our skin, made us, quite frankly, the most effective persistence hunters most likely the world has ever seen, although I'm not counting the dinosaurs. Mm. Okay. This... This, ev- this so it was an evolutionary advantage to be persistence hunters. And it is this evolutionary advantage that modern insurance companies have figured out how to use. They are persistence hunters for people with claims. So you have a claim, you're supposed to get money from your insurance, which you pay for, and they persistence you to death. Or at least they require you to persistence them to death. If right, to put I another think that's way, probably uh, more. Yeah, uh, to put another spin on it, right? They are exhausting. It's always another department you have to call, another person you have to get in touch with, another person, and they know what they're doing. So that one department says you can't file the claim unless you talk to the other department first. You call the other department. The very next thing they say is that they can't file the claim until they talk to the first department first, and they act like they're they act like they're not sitting in the same goddamn room. Right. Right. And they, you know, so and and we're by the way, we're forty year old homeowners. We're this isn't a, this ain't our first rodeo. Mm-hmm. So you know, when we call, we are taking down information. We're taking down, you know, oh, who am I talking to? What's your extension? Like we're taking down all of that information so that we can transmit it to the next, you know, call that we have to make. And it still doesn't matter. 
for these home improvement nightmares, they keep running us through not only the different departments, but then different like home improvement assessors that need to come out and be scheduled and whatever to come. And then the assessors come and they say, well, I can't, I can't assess until I get authorization from Department X. And it's all designed. It's all designed so that you give up and stop trying to get your money out of the insurance company. It is a scam. It is a plan. The amount of times in the past two weeks I have had to threaten somebody with litigation mm -hmm. just to get them to answer my call truthfully. You know, to the point where, and you know, my wife and I do very good, good cop, bad cop on this, where my mm -hmm. wife is the good cop, um, and she calls and she stays on hold and she's she's very nice. And then as they give her the runaround, which we know that she's going to get, I basically start screaming off camera and mm -hmm. get you know louder and louder and louder as they get to the phone. And then I finally grab the phone and whoever she's talking to, like, what is your name? And they're like, sir, why do you need to know? Like, I need to know who to name in my complaint. That's why I need your name. Um, and that, but you have to threaten litigation against some of these people to even get to even get them to tell you the right form to fill out. Mm -hmm. It is it is persistence hunting. It is ridiculous. I hate the entire insurance industry so very much. And the only like political segue I'll have for for that is like, do not come to me with your sob stories about how Medicare for all is too expensive. <laughs> right? Just I, I I do not want to hear that. No mo. Yeah, once you actually deal with an insurance company, you you lose a lot of your uh, you know yeah because I'm just trying to get my house fixed, not my heart. Right. I mean, God forbid I had Aww. a medical problem and was dealing with this, I wouldn't be able to play bad cop because my heart would be too weak to take it. Yeah. Uh, though that's uh, now that's that's fair. I'm sorry you're working with insurance companies. They um they are bad. Uh, there was a former I won't name who uh, Southern District of New York federal judge who privately informed his clerks every year when they came in that it's important for you to understand that in this courtroom, the insurance company is always wrong. <laughs> and I don't necessarily think that was a bad prejudgment situation or a bias situation. I think that was probably just born out of just, years of experience. Accurate. Anyway, well, we have uh, some people to thank. So we'll begin with today's episode was brought to you by your adorable pony who's very mad at you and thinking of jumping the fence, all because you're still at the office slogging through an endless doc review project. Make better decisions, keep your pet, and work smarter with Logical, e-discovery software that gets you started in minutes. Rein in your oh. e-discovery challenges. Create a free account today at logical.com forward slash ATL. That's logic with a K. C-U-L-L dot com forward slash A-T-L. Oh, I was thinking, what do ponies do? Do they eat carrots? This is going to be a salt lake. See, this Wait. is what's fun about these ads is now you actually think, because you know the format. You Once you hear the animal, you're like trying what? to work out. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I'm going to do next. Right. That's, yeah. that's fun for the listeners? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but it's fun for me. And frankly, <laughs> that's, that's really all I care about at this point. Uh, so... With all that said, uh, let's begin our show. So we're joined by some guests today from Edelson PC. I want to bring them in and talk about some of the work that they've been doing there. So I'll just introduce everybody first and then uh, start asking some questions. So we're joined by Chris Dorr from Edelson, as well as Aaron Lawson and Sydney Jansen. How's everybody doing today? Hey, guys. Doing good. 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 Thanks for having us. Great. Well, you guys do plaintiff's work. Can any of you help me sue my insurance company? <laughs> Would love to, sure. <laughs> Talk to us after the show. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, well, 
so Chris, let's talk a little bit about the firm. Uh, longtime listeners of the show, uh, I mean, we've had Jay on here before, so long-term listeners have heard a little bit about the firm before, probably. But just in case, let's you know, we let's assume we've gotten some new listeners in the last several years. Uh, <laughs> so, so talk to us a little bit about the work that Edelson does in particular. I mean, Ellie's already kind of foregrounded that there's some plaintiff work there, but uh, talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. The the primary work we do is plaintiff's work in the class and mass action space, as well as representing uh, a variety of different government regulators. We, I think, established ourselves in the industry uh, focusing on privacy and technology, but have significantly expanded our practice over the years uh, as our firm has grown, our practice has grown. And, you know, we do everything from representing families uh, that were impacted by the campfire in California to representing uh, former NCAA football players that are dealing with the long-term effects of concussions, um, as well as continuing to to work in the the privacy and technology space and, and kind of push the boundaries there. Yeah, that's one thing uh, that I've attempted to do in my work, and I don't know uh, how well I've done it. But there's you know, for political point scoring, there are people who always uh, bash plaintiffs and mass action lawyers. But I always try to use different terms than, you know, trial lawyer or plaintiff's lawyer. I, As much as I can, I try to talk about public interest lawyer or something like that. Because in a very real sense, a lot of the claims that you're bringing are more about advancing public rights that just wouldn't have any other there, there wouldn't be any other way for them to be redressed other than the kind of work that you do. I think that's absolutely right. We view ourselves as pursuing what you know a government regulator might do if it had more time and more resources available to it. And the system is set up to incentivize us through um, you know the contingent fee system to be able to to pursue that and and bring cases on behalf of people that otherwise would never be able to pay for it or would choose to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, there's that famous Posner uh, quote about the alternative to these sorts of class actions would not be a million little suits. It would be zero suits that just no one would actually do it. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think the, the, the point that you're making about how the system is set up this way is also an important one that people forget, like that, that the way that we design certain laws and certain regulations, they are reliant on the class action to point out problems, to point out weaknesses, to point out issues within the system. The system does not have any other – I shouldn't say any other. The system has very few other ways to actually address long-term structural problems in our either regulatory structure or general statutory structure without the class action. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. So I want to ask a – so we've written about you uh, in the past, and one of the stories that I've – most recent stories that I've written about the firm uh, that I wanted to talk a little bit more about is I wrote up uh, a rap video that you all put out, uh, <laughs> which which was great, but I, it was more than just this rap video. It was part of a broader strategic turn for you all, which is the creation of this Edelson Creative work and uh, the podcast, the non-compliant podcast. So what's going on? Uh, what's going on with the Edelson Creative side? Uh, you know, we for for years and years have have had creative interests that, that we have pursued primarily internally. Um, we, we like to think of ourselves as creative lawyers and that the, the work that we do and the way that we approach things is, is different and unusual and we like to come at things from first principles and we apply that to just how our firm functions and the social aspects of it as well and 
we want to find new outlets for it. Some of it's purely to entertain ourselves internally and, and to have fun at our holiday parties and things like that. Um, and some of it is a way to kind of convey messaging to the world around us about how we, how we view things and, and how we see ourselves in that space. And so some of it is comedic, some of it's musical. Um, and then the podcast, like you said, non-compliant, um, which we have a couple episodes already out in, and a couple more that we're recording, we think is a really fun platform. Uh, Jay's hosting it and uh, there's a lot of really interesting conversations going on. Some of them are very legal and some of them you'll see are not so legal and, and are addressing more societal questions and interesting topics like that. And so we're having a lot of fun developing that and, and finding new guests to, to kind of bounce around interesting ideas with us. So confession time. Um, when I was in law school, I continued my performance career. I did the, uh, the law school parody all three years that I was in it, um, that I was in school. I was a writer for the show. I kept my performative aspect up. And one of the ways that I justified it to my mother, who couldn't understand why I was still, you know, literally acting in plays as opposed to, you know, I don't know, trying to get on law review. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was a valid question. For, for instance. She, she, she wasn't wrong to ask. I mean, like, my mom's a smart, smart lady. Uh, uh, well, one of the ways that I justified is that, well, you know, I've sought one of the reasons why I was interested in law was the performative aspect of it, right? And, you know, I'm one of those kids that did mock trial in high school, and although I didn't do moot court in law school, I knew a lot of a lot of kids did, you know. There is, I think, the law attracts, you know, as opposed to medicine, for instance, the law attracts people who do kind of disproportionately want to perform, want to get up and be, even for a moment, the center of attention, and yet the practice of law for so many people so often is kind of solitary. Um, uh, it's a very quiet profession. Um, you spend a lot of time in documents, in notes, in books, in research, and comparatively very little time kind of performing your trade in perhaps the way you thought you were going to when you were in college or, or law school. So with your Edelson Creative Program, do you find that what you're doing is giving an outlet for people who – kind of thought they were going to be more kind of on stage or center stage? Um, or do you also find that uh, as, you know, plaintiff's attorneys or however you want to call it, that some of these creative aspects really are helpful for people who at some point will have to be in front of a jury or at least in front of a judge? That's an interesting approach to it all. I, I don't think we... I've gone know, deeper than intended. <laughs> <laughs> at, at its heart, we're looking to, to entertain ourselves and to have fun and to, to change up the atmosphere. You know, everything that we try to do in the operation of a law firm is to try and make us not like most law firms out there and, and provide opportunities, um, legal and non-legal, for, for people to explore that. So in some cases, yes. Uh, my partner, Ari Sharg, who, is, who appears in that rap video and, mm -hmm. and wrote it, um, I, you know, had a, had a career that never launched and it launched here. Um, he, he is incredibly talented and has a lot of fun putting that stuff together. Um, I love movies. I love TV. And so I've done some of the acting myself and, and directed most of the work that we've done and done a lot of work with our cinematographer. And that for me is a great, great outlet. You know, it's something that, that I enjoy doing and um, to be able to do it at work and to, to incorporate other folks that we work with and, and have a lot of fun with it. You know, our, our, our fall is, is often wrapped up with brainstorming and having fun thinking about this and filming this kind of stuff and, and 
as I said, mostly it's been for, for internal use, but um, some of it we've shared and, and we think uh, people enjoy it. And so I don't think this is training to put people in front of court. I think this is more about who we are and just the, the culture that we build and having fun together and, and you know, being friends, frankly. Uh, you know, that's the type of the firm we have. Yeah. Well, and it's a, a culture here. Uh, let's let's see how this works as a transition. All right, uh, sure. uh, see see how this is. Uh, so that's a culture that actually it seems though you somewhat share. You do a lot of tech work. It sh- you share that with a Silicon Valley style culture of having a little bit of fun along with the work. And one Silicon Valley sort of organization would be Facebook. See, so now that's going to be my transition. Uh, so it's a pretty and, good transition. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as transitions go, I mean, this was, this, this was tough. I feel like, all right. So Aaron, uh, talk to us a little bit about the work you've been doing. You've been working with Facebook. Uh, I guess maybe not with, it shouldn't be the right word, but tell us about privacy and Facebook. Wow. Oh, that's a, it's yeah. a, a huge Subject. So, or at least your corner of it, maybe. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, the, I think, though, that this is a good transition because the Facebook case uh, really, I think, kind of is a very good exemplar of some of the, the sort of Silicon Valley things that we pride ourselves on, both uh, uh, having the, the tech expertise uh, and thinking about these problems in kind of a different way, but also uh, relying on, on younger lawyers and uh, people who might have different and new ideas. I mean, out here in, in San Francisco, we call them disruptors, but, uh, you know, people with different ideas about how things should be done. Uh, and the case began, you know, six years ago when somebody who was then an associate found this Illinois law, the Biometric Information Privacy Act, uh, that really hadn't been litigated much, if at all, uh, you know, and he kind of kept that in his back pocket. Uh, but because he also had uh, some tech expertise, he was able to kind of look at what Facebook was doing with with photos and and noticed, hey, you know, th- this law seems to apply to what Facebook is doing. Uh, and, you know, as an associate, proposed this lawsuit, which is uh, now kind of a big deal. Uh, and so... Uh, Just a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so my piece of it, which is, you know, five, six years later, right, when I'm arguing the uh, Rule 23F appeal, um, is, you know, th- this also, I think, is a, a culmination of, of the same kind of thinking. So uh, if I could switch to a different case, right, we had Spokio up in the Supreme Court four or five mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, and at that point, you know, we're in the Supreme Court. Oh, my gosh, this is, this is such a big deal. Spokio, right, we have these, these privacy cases, and you're often met with skepticism from judges. We're like, what, what is really going on here? I, and why, why do you care? Uh, and so Spokio, I think a lot of people in our section of the plaintiff's bar, we all sort of collectively held our breath when Spokio went up to the Supreme Court. Uh, so we associated with someone who knew what they were doing at the Supreme Court. Uh, but we watched them work. And then our younger associates fanned out. And, and you know, this is an argument we saw in a lot of cases. Uh, and we relied on, on these young associates, including myself, to, to brief it and argue it in a bunch of other cases. So in the last four years, we've, we've developed a, you know, a pretty deep working knowledge of those issues. Class certification, obviously, is something that's a procedural step we hit in a lot of our cases. And a few years ago, uh, I sort of I just offered to work on, on class certification in one of our cases, did so successfully in that case. And. Uh, have continued to do that. And, you know, even though that's a really big step in a lot of our cases, 
as, a, as an associate, I'm, I'm given that opportunity and, and that responsibility. Uh, and so this big Facebook appeal comes around. It's probably the biggest class certification fight we've had in a long time. It's probably the biggest Article Three fight we've had since Spokio itself. But because I've been working on these issues, I get to stand up in front of the Ninth Circuit and, and argue it. And, you know, it's... I honestly, I think I blacked out a little bit. I don't remember the argument. At all. <laughs> I've, and I'm, I'm a little afraid to go back and, and listen to it or watch it. I've listened to all my others, but I don't, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to know what happened. You know, we, we won, we won the appeal uh, and that's good enough for me. But uh, you know, it's, it presents a lot of interesting issues about how you sort of think about what the harms are in these privacy cases uh, because you know, our, our traditional understanding of harm is, you know, put it bluntly, blood or money. And that's really not what you're dealing with here. But um, I, I think recently, especially, we've had some success convincing people that, look, these companies are, are using data and, and maybe manipulating you. I mean, this is sort of in the zeitgeist now uh, that especially following some of the revelations uh, after the, the 2016 election that, look, this data is, being, is, is out there and it's being used by companies in ways you might not understand, but some of this is, is governed by laws that are on the books and, and it's up to us to enforce those. So it was, it's pretty exciting stuff, to be honest. I just want to, for, for, I, we got, a, we have a lot of listeners who are, find themselves as associates and major law firms. Go back through a little bit. Sorry, that, that part of the, where, where you're the associate arguing in front of the Ninth Circuit, like the, you kind of, you, you went a little bit fast, I think for, <laughs> for me at least, like you, so you developed an expertise in class certification, which I okay. So you wanted to do it, and then you know you say you, you work on you work on this case, you are working on that case. Now mm -hmm. this major case comes up, and you're you're the go to lawyer on class certification. And the like, how does that happen? <laughs> that's I, it's it, it is pretty crazy, but that's sort of our attitude, you know. That I've I was on the front lines of these fights in a number of cases, and and I, I did help. I didn't appear in the district court. Uh, I have a, you know, when you when you appear on district court dockets, all of a sudden you're on big reply all email chains, and I'm just not about that. But I, <laughs> I did do some uh, some ghostwriting, uh, you know, when we got to the class certification stage in the district court. But I, yeah, I've developed an expertise, and and I've uh, been successful enough uh, in drafting and in occasionally arguing these motions. And this is actually not the first Rule 23F appeal I'd argued, uh, but. Uh, and it's also now not the only one I've argued successfully, uh, that when it came time uh, to argue this case, uh, that that the uh, the partners at the firm put their trust in me. And, and I, you know, I really appreciate that. It, it makes it a lot easier to come into work when you know that you get that kind of trust from the, the people who are in charge. Mm. Uh, and it, it is it is really nice. And it, it, But in this case, it was incredibly intimidating. I mean, it's definitely the biggest class cert fight we've had in some time. Uh, the Article Three issues were obviously, I mean, they're in front of the Supreme Court right now. Um, and I, I was i was really nervous, but this is, you know, if you're going to invest in associates, this is this is kind of where it leads you. And for the moment, at least, that bet has paid off. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> God, if I If I can just jump in here. Yeah. Uh, Aaron's being modest here where he is, you know, a little bit describing himself as having just stumbled into this. And we said, okay, yeah, go ahead. You can, you can, this is um, he, he has done, ever since he's come to the firm, he's done incredible work for us. He is, he's a, a fantastic writer. And um, his oral argument on Facebook was 
we all watched it. You know, we we all had it up on in our conference room, and it was an amazing thing to watch. And and there was really no doubt in our minds sending him out there. But it's because it's also not the first time we've ever done this. It's not that we just took a flyer on an associate for the first time um, yeah. in in this case. We have been sending associates to court generally constantly forever, but we've also been sending associates to circuit court arguments around the country. Someone we just made mm. partner this year, Ben Thomason, um, argued in the 11th Circuit um, years ago when he was a first or second year, um, and he won. Wow. And it's a ground it's a groundbreaking case in the privacy world about uh, data breaches and overpayment. Um, and so this is this is just at the core of who we are to to be putting essentially people into positions where they are the best at whatever they're doing. Um, and if you're the most knowledgeable person, be it in a mediation or on a call with opposing counsel, or if it's going to court, it doesn't matter what year you are. It doesn't matter if you're a partner or an associate. We want whoever is in the best position to make an argument, to answer a question, to, to be the person who's there. And that's our philosophy. And I guess there's there's something to be said for being on your side of the V uh, there, because a lot of the, I talk to big law partners who do a lot of defense work, and they say the reason they don't let associates get that sort of face time with the court is because well, they'd frankly love to, but you know, then you have to turn around to whatever corporate in-house muckety-muck you're working for and say, oh, yeah, no, I, I know I'm the person you're paying $1,000 an hour, but I'm going to let the first year try it. Uh, and they just don't feel comfortable doing that. But that doesn't mean – they say the first year is absolutely capable of doing it. In fact, maybe more capable because they've done all the work on it. But I just can't report to the in-house folks that way, whereas on the class action side – in a lot of ways, you're, you're directing how it works. And so you have a little bit more freedom. Yeah. And something you said there also, I mean, it definitely applies to us, right? Your younger associates in any case are going to be the ones kind of on the front lines uh, and driving the litigation forward. They'll, they'll be, you know, knee deep in, in the documents or uh, knee deep in the research that's being done on a motion to dismiss because they're writing the first draft of, of whatever. And, you know, to us, it just makes sense to have that person also get up and explain whatever it is that needs to be explained to the court, uh, because that's uh, one, it means two people don't have to learn the same thing. Uh, but it also, you know, it ends, you can put someone like me out in front of the Ninth Circuit in, in, in our Facebook case and be confident, I guess, people were confident um, that the outcome will be okay. Mm -hmm. I've noticed more and more too that a lot of district judges are starting to have standing orders yeah. um, that note that they want younger associates in court and kind of admonishing big law partners uh, when they don't bring them or don't put them in a speaking role in the courtroom, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe, to your point, I think there's some truth to the statement you made about big law making decisions about associates, but I don't think that's the full story. I think that's a nice way to, a nice excuse for them to, to say, we don't trust them. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's harsh, but I, I think it's, it's unfortunately true that um, there's a lot of incentives to keep the work either at the top from a, from a monetary standpoint, or they just simply do not trust uh, young associates. And it creates a terrible problem. Um, and, you know, if you, if you talk to Jay about this, this is a lot of his thought process on how he developed the firm is that when he was himself a first year associate at a big law firm, there was no trust. There was no 
effort to to put them out there and there was a lot of reasons for that and he found that the people around him were they were scared they were scared of going to court they were scared of confronting opposing counsel they were scared of all the things you need to be able to do as a lawyer because they hadn't done it for years and then all of a sudden they're asked to do it uh, at a later time and our philosophy is the opposite. It's, you're going to court as fast as we possibly can get you out there. We have a rule around here that it's like, you get sworn in, you have the next available court date, you're, you're going to court and you're speaking. Sometimes it's that day, <laughs> if yeah. we can manage it. Um, and it's, it's tearing that Band-Aid and saying, look, you're competent, you can do this, and there's nothing you know, to be scared of and to get comfortable in that position so that by the time you know, Sydney is a couple years in and has gone to court, like she absolutely has lost track of how many times she's ever been to court. Um, it, it's, it's just second nature. Well, that's a good way of pivoting. So we've talked about working on tech cases. Uh, Sydney, you've worked on a high profile case that's not so much in the tech space. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on with the sports performance case? Sure. Yeah, this is definitely um, not our typical type of case, but certainly in recent years with Me Too and everything, sexual abuse has come to the forefront. So what this case is about is um, there's a youth volleyball coach here in the Chicagoland area who's one of the most prominent youth volleyball coaches in the country. And there are allegations that he sexually abused his players going back decades. And so uh, this came to our knowledge. Um, I think anyone who's researched our firm might have found that uh, we like to play volleyball here. Jay loves volleyball. We've got a volleyball court at the office. So Jay heard of this and um, we were just kind of brainstorming on, is there anything we can do? Um, The women who have come forward, those claims date back to the 80s. So the statute of limitations had long run on those claims uh, from a criminal or even civil perspective for those women. But we decided to take a route um, relying on our class action consumer protection backgrounds and found that we had actually pretty good claims under the Consumer Protection Act here. And there's also a statute dealing with contracts with gyms or fitness facilities, where now we have a lawsuit on behalf of parents whose children play volleyball at sports performance volleyball, um, and specifically for this coach. And basically, the claim is a simple consumer protection claim. We wouldn't have brought our kids to be coached by this guy if we had known that he had a history of sexually abusing his players. And it's certainly been eye-opening Um, it's been just amazing speaking to these women and knowing how brave they are to have come forward and knowing in some way, shape or form, we're trying to help them tell their stories, um, give them a platform, but also kind of hold this coach and his facility accountable. Wow. I mean, I, that's usually the kind of work you hear people doing pro bono, right? Because like that's like, right? Like you, you, when you are fighting, so often, I think, in, especially in, in the world of like high, high, big firm, high pressure law, when you're fighting the good fight, um, so often you're you're kind of forced to fight that fight for free. Well, to be clear, we are we are bringing this case pro bono. Um, we are not taking any fees for this case. It's just something we believe in really strongly, and so. You know, it, it's definitely not our typical pro bono case here. We do en- encourage 
attorneys to pursue pro bono cases that mean a lot to them. Um, but this was definitely something that everyone could get behind and it just felt like the right thing to do and something we really wanted to do. Yeah. And this, this case has really been a focus of, of the firm and, and Sydney's been, been leading it. And it's, it's not a typical pro bono case that, that a lot of big firms look at it and push down to younger associates just as to keep those wheels moving. This is something that, that as Sydney said, Jay is very passionate about and the firm is passionate about. Um, and has been honestly one of the most heavily litigated cases that we've had. Um, there has been so much action in this case and, and we've gotten class certification. We're dealing with summary judgment. And our expectation is this case is going to to trial um, in federal court here in Chicago. And um, we're really excited to, to keep pushing it and to get to the right resolution. Mm. The, you know, obviously, the cases that most come to mind uh, about this are all of the cases surrounding the gymnastics uh, scandals. And it just seems as though the there might be deep-seated problems within youth coaching uh, in sports. And I think there's something to be said for coming up with a novel approach for how to get at these issues, even where there are statute of limitations problems, is a real service, you know, not just to these women and these parents who are involved, but to others who will uh, pick up this mantle potentially if more problems are discovered elsewhere. Absolutely. I mean, we're hopeful that, you know, moving forward, you know, if this this happens to anyone else, um, which we obviously hope it doesn't, but you know, our eyes are open to the fact that there is a rampant problem in youth sports today um, with these sorts of things. We're hopeful that this case can kind of act as a blueprint for you know, ways to hold these folks accountable moving forward. Well, great. Well, thanks everybody for joining. Uh, this was really useful and I think it's good. We have a our audience is kind of all over the place, but we do have a good deal of uh, vocal folks who reach out to us who are in the pre-law space trying to figure out where they want their law school career to go. And I think a lot of times when you show up in in law school, you're funneled down the path towards being at some defense on the defense side. And I think it's good to hear what's going on on the other side of things and the sort of work that you could be doing if you chose to go on more of a plaintiff's route. Yeah, it's it's a good time on this side of the V and uh, <laughs> law schools and and you guys too would yeah. uh, you know would be appreciated to to make sure that the law students know that there is another half of the world out there. Yeah, and that's why it's been really good over the years. I I not that we don't talk about other firms, but you've all always been very forward about bringing stories to us and stuff that you're working on so that we're in a position to talk about it. Some others don't uh, don't publicize their work in in ways that meet our radar all that often. So it's been very good of you all to keep us in the loop as to what the work you're doing. Yeah, happy to do so. Well, great. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you aren't already subscribed, you should be doing that. You should go give us reviews, not just the little stars, but write something. The mere act of writing things helps those algorithms figure out that we're a law podcast that's out there that people should listen to. Oh, algorithms. I, I mean, I'm sure it's something that violates one of these rules, but the point is, 
Uh, you you should be doing that. You should also be reading above the law, obviously, following and the nation. I guess I should start saying now. Uh, you should be following Woot. us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at LENYC. You should be listening to all the various offerings of the Legal Talk Network, as well as the Jabot, which is Catherine Rubino's podcast here at Above the Law. And with all of that said, uh, and thank you. Oh, and thank you to Logical for sponsoring and giving me an opportunity to come up with a different animal pun every week. So hey. thank you. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 